Connecting Coaches Cognition. Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed coaching for the coach. Welcome back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm here with Violet Christensen. We just want to take a moment to thank our listeners for joining us for four seasons of C3. Violet, what's new in your world? Well, I mean, season four is new, and it just blows my mind that we've come so far and to be able to look back at all that we've created together, Courtney. And um, I'm always thankful for you who kind of had a powerful nudge to help us get started with this from some of your um, inspiration from the classroom. So thank you for that to start, number one. No problem. I I don't mind being the nudge. (laughs) You're always a good one. And um, yeah, this summer has been um, remarkable. Honestly, um, as I reflect back, it was exactly what was needed for me in this moment. I am in this beautiful phase of motherhood where I don't have diapers or bottles. I appreciate all of you young moms who still are rocking that look, but it was so fun to just create um, a summer of adventure for my girls. We literally started a notebook and every day they'd kind of talk about what are the adventures they want to accomplish. And we would put them on the calendar and find fun um, adventure buddies to go do it with them. And so I feel like they've just grown by leaps and bounds this summer. It has been so fun to just see them and their passions develop and just be able to have that true um, power of the pause moment that we've talked about so many times and step back and just take a summer um, to reconnect with my purpose and with my people. So that was cool. Awesome. Sounds like a lot of fun. It was definitely a lot of fun. It's It's been fun to kind of watch. Um, my daughters have gone from the ballerina phase as we kind of left off in May, and we're deep into a geology, gemologist phase. So we did everything from Dinosaur Ridge to um, rock hunting to um, a candy factory. So it was just, Colorado has so many amazing treasures to explore in the summer, and it's always fun to, you know, share those with the next generation and be able to see. I know you had some people here too, Courtney. Like, did you get to explore and see some fun sites? What were you up to? Yeah, my friends came out from North Carolina their first time in Colorado. Uh, this was a trip that was postponed for two summers due to COVID. Um, so we hit up all the wonderful places in the Front Range. We did Pearl Street to Chautauqua. And did some hiking and sightseeing and all that fun stuff. But it really felt like the first summer I had off. Um, And I think, you know, we all kind of needed that time to step back and kind of really feel rejuvenated and ready to come back to work. Uh, But lots of time in the garden. Um, Started a new Instagram for my garden. If any of you are interested, um, you can follow me at Loco Backyard photos if that's your jam uh checking out some flower photos <laughs> well they are always gorgeous and it's just beautiful to see how you can capture what is part of this um natureness in Colorado and be able to enjoy that summertime so I'm glad that you had a fun reconnection period as well yeah the photography and the flowers are two of my hobbies that just merge together nicely and then um some Colorado around the corner backyard uh mountains photos as well <laughs> In the oh, mix. it's always so fun. I, I was ordering photos today. I feel like there's way too many to be able to sift through from camping to here to that and just the, the breathtaking views all summer. So I'm glad that you sound re- rested and rejuvenated. And I'm glad we can jump in again for another fresh season. 
Yeah, and we're so lucky. We want to welcome back Elena Aguilar to C3. We're thrilled to have her reach out to us to join us again to share her latest work. Um, she has a new book called Seven Habits That Transform Professional Development, and she's here with us today to talk about that book. And who better to start off our fourth season? Welcome back. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are so excited to dive in with you again and feel truly honored to have you here with us. And can we start with you catching us up a little bit about what is going on in your world since we last spoke and also about your definition of professional development and a little bit about your inspiration for your new book that we just highlighted? Sure. So I have to say the last few years just feel like such a complete blur. And I know I'm not alone in having this experience. And so I feel like um, the the last few years have been a lot of Zoom, a lot of adaptation and learning, which I love learning. I'm all about lifelong learning. And there's been moments that have been like, no more learning. Um, and, and then there was sort of the shift out of the really challenging phase and into, wow, this is an a new reality where in some ways now I get to do a lot of the kinds of work that I really love doing the most. And one thing that I love doing more than anything really is writing. And so for the last year and almost a half, I have been working on this project with Lori Cohen, which is the PD book, which is our new book on seven habits that transform professional development. And that came about as Lori has been a presenter on my team for a couple of years and came about as a part of conversations that we had about work we were doing and workshops we were facilitating. And, and Lori has um, some good experience as a PD facilitator. And we just started talking. And I had known that I wanted to write this book for a long time, ever since I first started doing workshops, which was almost 10 years ago, and started doing workshops on the art of coaching, people would appreciate the content so much and also ask for tips on doing PD because so many coaches coach and do 15 other things, one of which is often facilitating PD. And so they start from the very beginning, they would ask me for tips and suggestions. And um, and so writing this book was always something like one day I will get to it. And then it just sort of felt like the next thing to do, the next thing to work on. And given the changes that the pandemic brought in terms of for me, one of those was a lot less traveling. It just became feasible for me to spend more time writing. And so we wrote this book, the PD book. And it is a fabulous book. It was very relatable. Um, I felt like I had an inside view behind the curtain of how you plan your PD and those important parts. I felt like I had this treasure um, that I wasn't supposed to have, um, these insider kind of tips. So I think it's really relatable for coaches. So can you explain the concept of imagining PD like a party? That was something that really resonated with myself. Yes. And the cover, we love the cover. And the cover has all these like, almost like bright light confetti looking um, 
we wanted it to feel really celebratory because so often it has felt like, I'll say for myself, both as a participant and sometimes as a facilitator, PD has felt like, oh, I have to go to PD, right? Like it's the thing that mm-hmm. drains your life force, just like sucks it all out of you. And, um, you know, if it's not, again, like it's not necessarily bad. Sometimes it just feels like it just drains you. And yet Lori and I had both had experiences, both as participants and facilitators in which we'd had incredible PD sessions that were enlivening and energizing and nourishing and that brought us into deeper connection with others that helped us think about who we are and what we want to do and that were like a like the way that we felt at celebrations or gatherings or parties and neither of us I will say we're both um no one would describe either of us as like party people so we are not I am super introverted I'm like a party sounds like please a root canal give me a root canal over going to a party um but and that's I like what we said was what if PD could be more like a party in the sense of more like a gathering or, or whatever kind of experience you have when you connect with people for me I love connecting with two or three people at a time like that's a good number for me that's a party. And the way that you feel where you just feel energized and you think, I can't wait to do that again. That was so great. And so that's what we want to really flip the paradigm on the way that both participants and facilitators think about that space in which we come together to learn. Because really, PD is about learning. How do we continue learning? And learning can be and should be something that is energizing and nourishing and that we want to do and that we feel um, a deeper connection to others with whom we are learning, deeper connection to ourselves, again, in terms of our aspirations and our values and our connection to our mission. So that's the context of that. It's kind of easier and catchier to say what a PD could feel like a party, but that's the, the meaning. Well, we love that you're lifting that positivity in professional development and helping others to unlock the elements of that and really bringing that that sparkle and that pizzazz and that fun and energy. Even if it's a group of three or a group of 300, those elements can still work um, when you adapt them in different ways and being able to just bring that sunshine back to some PD land. So we appreciate that. And tell us, we know you go into depth about this in your book, um, but if you can unlock a little further for us, can you touch upon the importance of that psychological safety in professional development and creating that party um, positive atmosphere? Sure. There is so much in this book and and in all the work that I do that is research-based. And so I kind of love reading research and I can really sort of geek out on neuroscience and social science and psychology and all this stuff and behavioral economics. All of that informs my work, but it's not what I, I don't write a lot about it because I also think it can be boring to read. Um, but when we look at the conditions that are essential in order for folks to learn, one of the absolutes there, and this is agreed upon by just about everybody, is psychological safety, which means I mean, it it means what it sounds like, right? That you feel like you can ask a question and not feel like others are going to think, oh, she doesn't know that. How long has she been a teacher? 
um, you know, that you can take risks and say, I think I disagree with this thing that we're doing or have questions about it or it doesn't sit right with me or that you can you can take in some new ideas and say, this is all really new and I'm overwhelmed. And yeah, I've been teaching 20 years. And so this learning is a social experience. It is in general and especially in PD and in our schools. And so we have to think about how do we create the foundation for psychological safety so that we can just begin to explore what we're doing as educators and changes in practices, changes in beliefs that we might want to um, make for the sake of our students' best interest and for their learning. So that's in general, that's sort of the really brief overview of what it is. And then when we get into, so how do we do that? Because generally we we come across a consensus. People are like, yeah, okay. So how do you do that? And so this book is based on seven habits that transform professional development. And there is a chapter called Engage Emotions, which is all about, a lot about this element. But the other chapter is also that in some ways, at least even on first appearance, can seem more technical, are deeply connected. So there's a chapter um, called Attend to the details. That's one of the habits. And in that chapter, we go into all the little tiny ways that you can cultivate psychological safety. And that includes things like when people arrive at a meeting, how do they know where to sit? How do they, you know, what do they put on their name tags? How do they meet new people that they're sitting down to talk to. If you think about sort of an August, all the third grade teachers come together in the district central offices for that training in the new literacy program or whatever it is. There's so many different contexts, whether it's folks who may not know each other or teachers who have been on the same staff for decades, thinking about every little opportunity in every moment where you can, as a facilitator, you can create connection and opportunities for folks to know each other, that's foundational for psychological safety. And then we talk about things like creating community agreements or norms, how to deal with conflict and so on. And and there's probably 200 things that a facilitator can do to cultivate a sense of psychological safety. And again, that is just foundational for how what people need in order to learn. And I often say things like, you know, we can, we can either accept neuroscience, we can accept our own as human beings, our own biologies and our own brains, or we can fight it. Like, where do you want to put your energy? If you want to accept it, you have to figure out how to help people create relationships with each other. That is how they will learn. People don't learn unless, you know, and again, I don't, sometimes I'm like, let me talk to you about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex and the, and then other times I'm like, look, just give people three minutes to do a check-in with each other at the start of a meeting. That will help them learn. Well, and we spend so much time as educators doing that for students, especially at the beginning of a school year, setting them up to feel safe in a classroom. And it's like, why is that not second nature as professional developers that we don't create the same atmosphere for as for adults? Um, I had that like kind of aha moment of like, oh, I could take a lot of pressure out of people showing up at PD by just doing some of these things. And that is such an important point to make. And I find that 
when I am coaching facilitators or school leaders and they tell me, I don't know how to do this. You know, how could I do this? And I say, what would you have done? What would you do? What, what did you do as a teacher in the classroom? Or what would you do if you were? And they like, oh, oh, I know what to do then. You know, like transference of skills. Teachers and adults are big people. And we want to be really careful because we don't want to be patronizing. That's one of the things I hated the most when I was an elementary school teacher and I would go to PD sessions. I was like, don't, I'm not eight years old. Don't talk to me that way. Don't treat me that way. But that's one element. But many of the skills and the strategies that we use with students in the classroom are relevant to creating conditions in which adults can learn. And it is being able to make that. And then you're like, oh, okay, I know how to do that. It's simplifying that process, right? Going back onto what we know. We don't have to recreate the wheel here. As you use storytelling as a tool for effective workshops and training, do you have a rotation of stories you love to share? Um, And is there one you'd be willing to share with our listeners to inspire and propel them forward at this moment? Mm. Storytelling is an endless resource for connection and bringing people together. And I often guide coaches and facilitators and leaders through identifying the stories that they've experienced in their life that they could share. Um, And I draw on mine so much, and some of them I tell over and over, and others are are ones that I find sometimes I'm like, how did I not tell that story yet? So I guess one story may be to tell that I did not write in the PD book and I don't know why. <laughs> and it's sort of one of these things like, I don't know why I didn't tell this story. Maybe because in some ways it was really upsetting, but I've been remembering this in the last couple of months And this was when I was early on in my experience as a coach, and I had to facilitate a, well, I was co-facilitating, but I would say my co-facilitators were in a different position in a different place than I was. And it felt like it was all on me. So I I had to facilitate this beginning of the year retreat for staff at the school, I was a coach and we were trying to get folks to have some harder conversations about equity. And there was a lot of resistance and pushback. And it was just so hard. And it was one of those retreats where you're away and you're staying in the same place for two or three or 10,000 nights. And it felt like, wait, are we on night two? I can't remember if it's two or three nights. It felt like 10,000. And there was a morning where I just thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. And that thought led me to be sitting on the floor of this conference room center, sobbing while my sort of co-facilitators were trying to support me. They were three men. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And then teachers who were on staff were walking back and forth and like looking at me. And that was really, literally, I was on the floor. That was the low of my experience as a facilitator. And again, I did not write about that in this book and I 
maybe I'm still recovering from the trauma of that. But I've been thinking about that lately as um, in some ways, as, as I think about my own growth and development and learning. And I think it's really hard to recognize and to maybe this is why I haven't written about it or talked about it much, but to, to recognize those low points and then to mine them for the lessons and the wisdom. And so I do in my books and when I'm teaching, I share a lot of my low points. I share a lot of the, and I do that because I really want others to hear basically like I've been there wherever you are. And sometimes I tell people, things and they say, oh, I've never done anything that bad. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah, see, uh, like your, your growth is going to be a lot faster. I'm like, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. I had a lot of learning to do. I, there was so much I didn't know. It's just learning. And so sometimes like when people observe me coaching, they say, oh, I could never do that. I can never do that. I say, I've been doing this for 18 years and this is learning and learning. And let me tell you, let me tell you what I said. 16 years ago or 15 years ago. And so I guess I share that story um, in the hopes that if folks are listening who feel like PD is part of my job and I hate doing it, and yet I have to because I also love the other part, like maybe coaching or some other part, um, hopefully to share that you can learn if you want to, you can learn. Facilitation is a set of skills and you can learn them. And I will say now some of my absolute high points in my career, I would say in the last five, 10 years have been when I've been facilitating PD, just the absolute. And I actually opened the book with an anecdote about one of those high points, which was a retreat that I facilitated that was just still one of my favorite professional moments. And so, yeah, you can be sobbing on the floor and then 15 years later, be like, I love facilitating. I'm going to do it again and again and again. Well, we appreciate your transparency and sharing your highs and your lows because it helps us to connect with you and your your human uniqueness and your story. And that is the beauty in who you are as a coach. And we just love seeing you light up in your vibrance when you speak about it. And we live in such a world where Twitter or Instagram, every PD looks perfect um, through the mm -hmm. pictures, but really, you know, resonating with the facilitator of we all get nervous or have those moments of like, I don't know how I'm going to get cognitive shift from these people during this PD. You know, we bear a lot on our shoulders of how a PD runs. So I appreciate your radical candor of sharing that story with us. Um, I know you talk about it a ton in the book, but in what ways can we be more responsive facilitators of adult learning? What are some tips? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it, that makes me think about how to look at the seven habits as all ways to be responsive. So the first habit is to determine purpose and I think maybe because I was a middle school teacher for so many years, I have forever ingrained in my mind, the seventh or the eighth grader was like, why do we have to do this? <laughs> and, and I actually really appreciated that question from kids. Adults don't ask it as much, 
but they ask it in other ways, right? So they're like checked out, sitting back, kind of watching, checking you out, like waiting, disengage. There, what one of the things that's going on for people is why? Why are we doing this? And so the first chapter and the first habit is purpose. Get really clear on purpose, purpose for the PD, purpose for that session, and then make sure you communicate it. And that answers that initial, that question that people consciously or unconsciously come in with, why? Why this? Why am I spending my time here? Is this going to be a waste of time? And when you answer people from the get-go, it creates trust. It relieves anxieties. It helps to create, this is um, connected to the psychological safety that people need. They need to be able to trust their facilitator. And when the facilitator is really upfront about the why, then it also relieves the like, are there hidden agendas? Is this person actually trying to get me to, right? It's that sense of manipulation or power, which is one of the other chapters that um, one of the other habits that we discuss in this book. So the habits are determine purpose, engage emotions, navigate power, which is something that I've never seen discussed in any other book about PD. Then anchor in adult learning, design intentionally, attend to details, and facilitate adaptively. So in each of these chapters, we talk about how to basically be responsive to the needs of learners and how to be responsive by understanding what those are, by understanding what the conditions are that are necessary for people to learn, and then by um, understanding strategies that you can use to guide people or facilitate them in the learning. So just for example, let's say you have a purpose for a PD session. I'm, I'm sort of simplifying the process, but the purpose is to look at disaggregated data around student performance and look at look at um, data that may raise questions about racial equity or equity issues in a school. And you might get pushback on that. And you might have people challenging you and say, well, I don't think we need to do that. We shouldn't be doing that. And so the skill of a facilitator, just like you know, it's the same as a teacher is how do you guide people into recognizing the importance, the power, making their own connections to it, helping to, for them to recognize their fears and then to acknowledge, maybe not relieve those because some that's not necessarily our responsibility, but to just create space to acknowledge. I hear this is really scary to look at this in this way. Yeah, we haven't done this before. What else? Tell me more about your fears right now. Giving space. That's part of what comes up in the chapter around engage emotions is People, you know, people are going to walk in with their fears. You can either try to suppress them and repress them and control them and tell people like you can't, or you can say, yeah, tell me more about what are you actually really concerned about? I want to hear. Tell me more. Tell me about the sadness. Tell me about the anger rather than being in denial. And then it turns into resistance, right? And so that's the number one question I actually get from coaches about one-on-one -on -one coaching and PD is how do you deal with resistance? Well, resistance only really can exist if there's force in two ways, right? So sometimes when I'm live with people in person, now listeners can't see me, but I'm holding up my hands and I'm like, if you're if there's resistance coming from one side, it 
only exists if there's another force pushing. So right now I'm pushing my two hands against each other. It's like, that's so take away one hand and the resistance is gone. Like, then there's no more resistance. Then what is the person going to resist? And resistance in, in our context as coaches or PD facilitators is often a, an expression or a mask for fear in particular. And so when we when we proactively open up that conversation, today we're going to be looking at disaggregated data and we are going to look at the racial inequities in our school. What does this bring up for you? What fears does this bring up? Like, let's take all of that sort of, let's stop pretending like people aren't human beings and they don't have fear and anger and sadness and all of it. And let's open it up and then say, all right. Now this doesn't mean this has to be a therapy session. It doesn't have to go on for hours and hours. You get you it's a release valve. It's a period of time. All right. Let's look at this data. Let's see what's here. We can do this. We're brave. We can do this. So it you know there's a I'm alluding to a whole bunch of skills that can come into play and saying, you know, just because you get what might seem like pushback or resistance or questioning about purpose or process doesn't mean you give up on what you're planning on doing. You can still be responsive and stay and keep your eye on the prize, stay focused on the goals. I love that of being flexible and honoring the person in front of you. And if you're willing to ebb and flow with their thinking and with them truly being felt that they're heard and being responded to, then you're going to be able to have that more productive conversation and get to your point at hand. So you have just spoke so beautifully and woven so many different facets of your beautiful book um, throughout this conversation. And we are just so excited to be able to share it with our listeners and promote it everywhere. Um, we want to just sneak in a couple more quick questions with you if you're willing to let us steal the time. And um, we wanted to hear more from you about um, where can we learn more from and with you in this time? And especially for all of our newer listeners who have not heard from you before. And um, where can we follow you? And where can we get your book? And what else is coming down the pike from you? Yeah, thank you. Well, one thing is that, that I have a podcast, so the Bright Morning Podcast, and there are a number of episodes there about the PD book, and you can actually hear me read the introduction there as well. And so that might be a good place to go to get a little bit more on this. We have a weekly newsletter, which folks can sign up for on my website, and we can send you the link to that. And that's a great way to hear about what else and to find out about free webinars and other resources that we have. Um, and we are on the socials and you can look for Bright Morning or Bright Morning Team. Those are all linked on my website. Um, and what else can you, oh, there's so much going on. I've just started working on my next book, which I'm super, super excited about. Uh, it's going to be a while, but um, I'm working on that. And I'm also working on The Art of Coaching 2.0 because 2023 is its 10-year birthday. I don't know. It's been out 10 years, which I can't believe it's already been almost 10 years. And so I'm doing a, it's sort of a second edition, but a lot of it'll be new content. Um, and so we're, we're calling it Art of Coaching 2.0. So I'll probably have two more books come out next year in 2023. And that will, yeah, 
I just love writing. I just love, like, I love uh, putting all these ideas together. And I mean, I do still facilitate learning. And I will say one, so the next book, I'll tell you what it is in just a moment, but it's emerged from a PLC that I've been facilitating for BIPOC school leaders. And so for Black, Indigenous, people of color, leaders in education, I've been facilitating this PLC because I've heard for so many years from BIPOC leaders that I've coached and that I've just the the loneliness, the isolation, we need a place to be able to just talk to each other. And one of my beliefs about how we will change schools, particularly when we talk about racial equity, is that we just need more BIPOC educators in there who are thriving. And so I've loved the facilitation of this program that I've been doing. And it sort of gave birth to this book that I said I just started working on, which is going to be called Arise, How to Thrive as a BIPOC Educator. So that's what I'm working on now. And I'm just like so excited about it. Oh, we have so many amazing ways to learn from and with you. You are remarkable. You're always unfolding a new layer and we appreciate you always sharing your works and, and putting them out there for all of us to learn from and with you. Thank you. And we know um, COVID has changed all of us in so many ways. I used to say PC like pre-children and I would think of a different time, but now I just think pre-COVID and think of a different time. So we wanted to give you an opportunity as well to tell us What's your updated tagline or bumper sticker for coaching or education, or maybe specifically more around professional development in this time? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so my motto, my tagline for 10 years has been, we can make every conversation count. Every conversation counts towards building a more just and equitable world. And that hasn't changed. And I think that's actually, I'm more committed to that than ever because our conversations are connections and the experience of COVID being in many ways, one of disconnection, literally, physically, as well as, you know, in some ways and in some places, ideologically, I mean, I, like maybe other people have felt a great strain with some friends and some family members in response to opinions and beliefs. And so it just feels like more than ever, we have to have meaningful conversations that connect us. And we can, we can learn how to make every conversation count towards creating more, more joy, really, ultimately. Thank you for relifting that for us. I think I think that's a beautiful sentiment and just reminding us to keep building those bridges towards one another in any way possible. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, tell us, is there any small snippet that you want to share? We know you had so many tangible tips. What is a go-to move in your professional development that you maybe haven't shared with us that we could give that last snippet for our listeners? Mm, a move. Um, okay. I'll frame this as a disposition. And then there's a lot of nuance in terms of the move. But I think the disposition is authenticity and transparency. And so sometimes what people are most affected by with me as a facilitator is when I say something like, I want to just stop for a second, folks. And this might be a room with 50 people or 500. I might say something like, I want to just stop for a second because right now, all of a sudden, I'm 
feeling really nervous because I am just hearing a lot of side conversation and there's, it seems like what I'm offering you right now as a learning experience isn't working. And so I'm just noticing this anxiety rising in myself. And before I respond, I want to just ask, can we just hit pause for a second? And then can we figure out what to do? Because obviously this isn't working. So let's figure something out. So there, I said there's nuance and it's really important to honor the nuance around how much you reveal, how much you say, how much you make it about yourself. It's not about you. It's about the learners. But often what happens is when I very briefly will say something very honest, like I'm feeling nervous. A lot of times when I start off, even now facilitating on Zoom or in person, I do feel really nervous and I'll say, Okay, I'm super excited to be here. I'm also really nervous. So I'm just going to take a deep breath right now because otherwise I'm going to talk too fast. And then I'll like, okay, I feel so much better. And then I'll say something like, uh, yeah, I've presented this many times and I still feel nervous because I'm really committed to this and I really want you to have a powerful experience. And then I move on because it's not all about me and I don't want to go into my own, like, that's why I have a therapist, you know? <laughs> like so, 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 but there is such power in authenticity, transparency, because you are showing up as like, I'm just another human being and, um, and I'm here with you and let's see what we can do together. Absolutely. And that is just beautifully stated. I can say that I think both Courtney and I were a little um, shell-shocked the first time we got on with you and had that same nervousness. And just for you to be able to pull back the layers and show us that you still have that rattle in your boots sometimes is a beautiful thing. And we appreciate you sharing that with all of us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. And thank you for creating a beautiful PD book that's already pushing my practice and changing the way I think about planning PD. Yay. Thank you. How might you take some of the ideas Elena Aguilar shared with us today? How are you going to turn PD into a party? Thanks for listening and be sure to follow us on Twitter at C3 Coaches. C3, connecting, coaches, cognition. Whose thinking will you mediate today?